so uh, uh, Lori Laughlin still does not have her mm. uh, Hallmark deal back. <laughs> that's the news this week. That's never coming back. How are they going to fill that programming? That's uh, a that's a crater like nine thousand hours of programming a year that they're going to have to yeah. fill. It, and if I'm not mistaken, isn't she? In the cast of the reboot of the Full House yeah. series, yeah, that's done too. Netflix or something. That's done too. That's, that's gone. That's gone. Yeah, that's yeah, done too. That's done too. Man, yeah. The thing of it is, when these people take, when they go down, they take down entire uh, sort of ecosystems with them. Bill Cosby did it. Took out an entire ecosystem. I know. Well, that's that's how. Uh, what's his name? Wound up working at Trader Joe's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know? from the played the song. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he's got a career again. Yeah. Thank so, God for Tyler Perry. Yeah. Uh, so it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a thing that is very upsetting because so many of these people, and this goes to the Harvey Weinstein scandal as well, Kevin Spacey, Brian Singer. I mean, all of these things you can you you can go right down the line. There's a selfishness sometimes, and you and to be an artist requires a certain degree of selfishness. You ha, you do have to have a vision, and you do have to be determined to fulfill your vision. And and I think people understand that. But at the same time, when you work in Hollywood, image is everything. Mm-hmm. And that brand that you are trying to buy for your kids and for you but through the college, if if your brand becomes tarnished, you're taking others down. Mm-hmm. You are you you like I mean, look if you're if you're let's see you're just some grip or a gaffer or somebody who's working on a on a on a Hallmark movie on a Hallmark series, yeah. and now that's been canned because of Lori Laughlin, you can't pay your mortgage next yeah. month. Yeah, you just that wiped really a sucks. whole bunch of people out of work. Uh, you, I don't know. That's it's upsetting. Just, yeah. I mean, the lesson of this is when other people depend on you, behave. Yeah. Particularly because you've already made it. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that bugs me about yeah. it. It's, you didn't need any of this. You're already there. You know, everybody loves you. Yeah. But yet, yet just a little bit more. A little bit I more. Just, a little bit more. All you had to do was behave. I mean, crazy thing was, you know, I... When I was applying to colleges, and that was a whole different era before that became so cutthroat and so crazy, and I mean, for you as well, mm. I'm going to assume, you know, it wasn't something that you, 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 you didn't wring your hands over the brand of it. Like, oh my gosh, you might, what if I have to go to community college for a year or two? It's like, well, then you yeah. do. Then you do. I did. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people do. Most people do. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I applied to two colleges and I wanted to get into one. I wanted to get into UCLA because I wanted to stay in town and try to get into the film school. And I was fortunate enough. I, I got in. That was before their standards were, were raised. <laughs> but uh, I didn't have a 4.0. Yeah. You know, I had good grades, but I didn't have a 4.0. I didn't have a 4.2. You couldn't get a 4.2 back then. Yeah. You know, and um, the first time I applied to film school, I didn't get in. Mm. So I worked harder to get in the next time. You know, you have, it's middle. You, you know, you do two years, and then you hope you can apply to film school. And I thought, well, if I don't get accepted, then I'll I'll pick another major, mm-hmm. or I'll go to a different school, I'll transfer somewhere or something. You know, I mean, um, good friend of ours was uh, had a, had a really touching Facebook post. She had uh, she was accepted to SC, mm-hmm. couldn't afford it, so she went to CSUN. You know, and good honor. She's mm-hmm. great and she's smart and and and. Got a great film education as well, and I, I, I just don't. It's become all too. It's, it's, it's too much of that status competition now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, schools th- shouldn't be part of that. Th- th- to be honest, I'll take it. I'll, I'll, I'll even take it up a notch. Yeah. Um. My, 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 my father didn't uh, go to college at all. Uh. I, I never, I, I, I never knew anybody uh more brilliant than my father. 
Yeah. My father could do just about anything. My mother didn't go to college. My you mother know. my mother didn't finish high school. World War II disrupted You know, you know what I mean? And I'm yeah. sorry. I did not. And not just hard working, but I mean brilliant. My father uh, read encyclopedias. He would just yeah. sit there and, with the ease. And yeah. he would just. And he, my father could build a car from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was an electrician. Uh, my, yeah, I mean, it's just so, you know, sometimes I think we, we, we depend too much on the notion of the sort of formal education. Yeah. And we do not think about just an education. You know, my, my sister-in-law was just in town who lives in Norway and who was saying all of that, which is exactly what my mother used to say, because in Europe there are trade schools. Trade schools, And yeah. they are respected. Mm-hmm. Nobody says, oh, you went to DeVry? Yeah. Oh, you went to Bryman? Yeah. Like, they don't sneer at that. It's like, no, that's a legitimate thing that you do. You, If you if you go to college, you want to be a lawyer, that's one thing. That's if, one you thing. Wanna, if you want to be a I'm, gemologist. Yes, another well, thing. If you want to be a cobbler, if you that want is totally to, legit. there is nothing more important in uh, the land of Bavaria than a yeah. BMW mechanic. Yeah. Uh, you want to know who makes money? Uh, BMW mechanics, Mercedes mechanics. We'll make leave money. this here. We'll leave this here and then move on to DVDs. But uh, some years ago, we were in London. Do you know who makes more the highest paid occupation in London today? Mm. Plumber. Yeah, you know because because two hundred year old pipes are yeah. bursting. Yeah. And this was, you know, this was an attorney's wife that was telling me this, saying plumbers make more than lawyers in London. Yeah. They make more than stockbrokers. And well, they should, damn Because it. they are fixing things that uh, that haven't been fixed in hundreds, in like a couple hundred years. Yeah, and well, they should, and yeah. well, they should. And so, by the way, um, well, anyway, as you say, move yeah. on to DVDs. It's a thing. It's a thing. So the, the bottom line for celebrities is, look, if you're a celebrity, if you, if you are so fortunate as to become successful in this business, people depend on you. People depend on you. If a movie is getting made because of you, behave. Yeah. Because yeah. now there are hundreds of people, hundreds of people, not just working on the movie, but down the line who will be working on the marketing of the movie, the selling of the movie, in all kinds of other countries. There is now, like you said, an entire ecosystem mm-hmm. of people who are depending on you to behave. Yeah. And there are people who do it correctly, by the way, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks literally talks about it. He, yep. Tom Hanks literally talks about it. He understands that um, it's just not about Tom Hanks. People are depending on you. Lots and lots of people working yeah. in companies, all kinds of they're depending on me to make decisions and to do things and to be an acceptable person. Yeah. In the, Tom Hanks knows how to do it. Steven Spielberg knows how to do it. The old school people, they know how to do it. All right. Well, with oh. that, we're, we're now going to uh, <laughs> talk about... A guy who uh, lives underwater. Aquaman. No, yeah, Aquaman. I was going to say not, not, not SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> Although I would love to see SpongeBob make a cameo in an Aquaman uh, movie. Wouldn't I mean, that be great? Uh, 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 an Aquaman movie would be better with Sponge. I hated this movie. Uh, <laughs> it's just just a big dumbass movie. The, that opening sequence was kind of cool with Nicole Kidman. And, uh, with, there's all kinds of cool stuff in it. Yeah, in, in just, indiv- individually cool things, but it. Uh, I will I will say this, and I'll I'll let you no, say your say. But but the there continues to be an ongoing problem with the entire DC, DC universe, yeah. and and uh, Marvel has Kevin Feige, and and Kevin is the godfather of that whole thing. He is the the little Walt Disney of all things Marvel. And, f- and if you're not familiar with his career, you know he started as like a producer's assistant, mm-hmm. and he went from being basically like a, a, a low-level, uh, up-and-coming producer to running the single most important 
uh, brand other than Disney itself in the Disney empire almost overnight. Mm-hmm. It took about a year and a half for him to scale that. And it was because they they correctly saw this guy knows Marvel. Yeah. He knows Marvel and this guy lives it. He's a nerd. You know, all those comic books he read as a kid, now it pays off. And that's what every guy dreams of. Yeah. Every nerd dreams of that, you know? And And there is no comparable person in the DC world who sort of understands that? And no, they, the, 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 over here they got a bunch they, of MBAs and lawyers uh, just, running the companies, they, yeah. and they can't figure it out. They keep yeah. thinking, "Well, we'll hire some good directors, and they'll." But it, they're still—it's missing an overarching vision. Yeah. It's missing that person in that that same position to say, "Look, I know DC. Here's what we're going to do. This is our this is our 15 year plan for DC properties. Yeah. We're going to do this and that and the other thing. We're going to tie this story into that one. We're going to take this." And, you know, they kind of were on that path with Nolan, but Nolan didn't want to be that guy. He's got yeah. other stories he wants to tell. Yeah, he didn't want to do Batmans for the rest no, of his life. No, um, Yeah, but you're absolutely right. They're, thus, you get these sort of standalone movies that are in, I mean, you know, you know Wonder Woman, good movie. You enjoyed Wonder Woman. Uh, so you have that and moments in this movie, but a big, big sort of idea about what's going on, Superman, Batman, all that kind of stuff. No, uh, it just isn't there. Anyway, this, 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 this movie really just bugged the hell out of me, except for Jason Momoa. And thoroughly, Who has, thoroughly enjoyed him. He's great. And, and uh, look, they have uh, – this made a ton of money, so yeah. obviously people want to see Aquaman. And he is incredibly charismatic, and he's the right casting. You know, It was a smart move, I will say that. Uh, it was a smart move to move away from the – Blonde Aryan Aquaman of of the oh, old yeah, comic yeah, books, green, yeah. and to make him something more Polynesian, more ethnic, something more that we associate with with people of the sea, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was that was a smart move. And look, Momoa is charismatic. He has the best body of anybody who has ever played a superhero. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't need any suit enhancement. That, it's the thing all there. that I love about him is he just uh, you could say the thing uh, uh, Hemsworth yeah is they just sort of lean into it yeah they just like yes give me the stupid trident and, and I and I'll, and I'll just lean into it I'll I give be him honest, that I want to see an Aquaman and Thor movie I realize that's a DC Marvel crossover we will never get <laughs> but I kind of want to see that I kind of uh, do uh, I want to I really want to compare the two bodies is what I want to <laughs> so do what are you guys doing yeah how do you do with that zero percent body I fat? think Momoa wins that battle though to be honest. <laughs> Hemsworth, uh, he's, he's, Hemsworth is 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 yeah. is, is stacked and loaded. Momoa's taller. Yeah. Um, uh, exclusive sneak uh, preview of Shazam on 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 here, oh, which is terrible. That just looks so terrible. And I was it's funny when I was talking about. Um, it's uh, a gorgeous 4K. I, I it, it's really it's a, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's it, 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 it's it blows it out. But you, you and I are old enough to remember uh, the Saturday morning. Uh, yeah. cartoon. Not was it wasn't the cartoon. It was live action. Yeah. Uh, Billy Batson and uh, you know and he would say. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The Shazam Ice Shazam. Hour. All of that, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's it's really interesting to me because all of that sort of Shazam was the word that that he, kid said to turn Captain, himself into, into Captain, Captain Marvel. Marvel. Uh, and but all of that Marvel sort of got discombobulated after a while. Yeah. Now you have Shazam, you have Captain Marvel. There were two. Uh, there were two. Well, that was the DC, that was the the, the lawsuit that uh, Marvel filed against DC, and they won the exclusive rights to the name, which is a little upsetting uh, because I think the uh, the DC Captain Marvel predates the Marvel Captain Marvel. Oh yeah, because it predates even DC. Oh Captain yeah, was Marvel the, was, was a property was a, acquired by DC. Yeah, it was a different. Uh, it was a different. Uh, it goes back to the 30s or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah, like 1938 or something like but, that. But uh, but you know, uh, yeah, I love the Shazam Isis Hour. There were two different actors that played Captain Marvel on that. 
Uh, but I always enjoyed that that bit with the elders, all mm-hmm. the Greek gods, you know, Zeus, and I, I dug all that stuff. And then Isis, the actress that plays Isis, oh who's God. still with us. I'm still nuts about her. It's fantastic. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah. uh, Aquaman, not bad. Uh, the Possession of Hannah Grace is an exorcism movie. Uh, yeah, they're all the same. You know, they're all the same. Pretty creepy exorcism movies. Some deleted scenes and whatnot on that. Uh, that's sort of okay. Um, King of Thieves. Three great actors in uh, a pretty cool movie. Uh, this is a heist movie that stars three old dudes who are three of the greatest British actors of all time. Michael Caine, Jim Broadbent, and Tom Courtney. Tom Courtney, who is, I believe now, the last living cast member from Dr. Zhivago. There's a little bit of trivia. Mm. I think uh, I think he is literally the last one now. Uh, but, uh, no, this is this is really terrific. This is a, you know, it's, it's an... It's not the um, uh, it's not the the Sunshine Boys, but it's kind of like a British, a gritty British version of it uh, in a way. Anyway, the um, you know when you have aging criminals uh, and you they they come back together again to uh, pull together one last big uh, big heist, and they're all old dudes, but they 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 still got the they still got the chops. Um, so it's it's a really good bunch of actors, and uh, I I I think this is a fun movie. It didn't really get much of a release. Lionsgate didn't really get behind it. I don't know why. I think that's kind of sad, but um, it's worth checking out, worth rediscovering. King of Thieves, and uh, with Michael Caine, Jim Broadbent, and Tom Courtney, and a really really great supporting cast that uh, you know includes like Ray Winstone and Michael Gambon. It's really it's 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 really good. James Marsh directed. Mm. Um, second act, Jennifer Lopez. Second act, Jennifer Lopez has been making this movie for uh, twenty five years. I know about I know. every six and years. There's a, there's, a tag, movie. there's a tagline on there too, or, or, a, or a quote on the box, which is the one. It's uh, hold on, say I laughed. I thought this was so funny because <laughs> they're just totally owning it. Uh, here, Entertainment Weekly, Jennifer Lopez in her sweet spot. <laughs> yeah, that that's a kind awesome. way of saying. This is pretty much all she does. Yeah, you know. So, but look, I, I rather enjoyed this film nonetheless. For one thing, she looks fantastic it's in this amazing. movie. And she's playing a 40-plus-year-old yeah. uh, a woman who has a young boyfriend. But she 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 gets passed over for a job where she works as doesn't have a college degree. Yeah. And her, her Leah Remini, I think, I think she and Leah are good friends anyway. Uh, uh, son mocks up a, a a resume for her and puts a bunch of fancy stuff on there, and she gets herself a job at this at this uh, high end company, and she gets to wear these sexy clothes and walk around and do all kinds of neat stuff. I what can I tell you? What can I say? I I literally enjoyed this movie. It was just fun and funny and kind of sweet, and she, and, uh, and and Jennifer just looks great in it. Uh, some bonus features on here uh, include a uh, well, it includes like a cast and filmmakers conversation. Yeah. What they're doing yeah. on that thing there, kind of neat. Uh, the Vault. This is another one of those films that James Franco was involved with, and it's yeah. really just a reason for him uh, to let his friends and a few people that you know, Scott Hayes yeah. and all these people, make a movie. He does this sometimes, you know. Yeah, he'll he'll just take himself, he'll put himself Do, in the movie, and then the buddies get to go a make party. a movie. Have a party. Uh, and you got Francesca Eastwood and Tara Manning and a few other people making this movie. It's about these women who are forced to rob this bank, uh, and, the, and the crazy bank manager who who locks them in the. Uh, uh, yeah. It's just a dumbass movie. That's all. It is. Uh, our other 4K title of the week, other than uh, Aquaman, is Dynasties, the greatest of their kind. This is from BBC Earth. It is 4K. It is sparkling. It is dazzling. It shows off HDR in an unbelievably—it's un- it's like eye-popping. 
all this BBC Earth stuff, the the na- yeah. and nature documentaries generally, uh, really are kind of where 4K lives these days. That's what will show it off, even better than movies, because it's nature, it's real life, it's yeah. you know natural lighting, and it it requires you 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 know you can't sort of finesse that in a way that is forgive forgiving like you can with CGI, right? Yeah. You can CGI looks good eighty different ways. You can, but nature we know if it's if it's overdone, if yeah. it's fake, you, yeah. you can't fake it. Can't just crank up the Da Vinci. No, you can't. Great. So uh, this is really dazzling. It's narrated by David Attenborough, of course, aren't they all? And uh, the uh, it's it's kind of simple. It's you know we grew, Tim and I grew up with Marlon Perkins in yeah. Wild Kingdom doing basically <laughs> the exact same thing, and that's exactly what this is, uh, except with a guy with a British accent instead of you know Marlon Perkins Mutual of Omaha presents. The lion carefully observes the antelope and decides that now is a good time for a meal. Next thing, here I am. I'm five years old. I'm watching an animal get gored on television, and somehow it's not disturbing me. Seven o'clock, Sunday evening, and the antelope getting torn apart by a lion. Uh, Mom, look. Uh, so funny. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it's so weird how things have changed. And then after that, we would watch All in the Family. <laughs> and uh, Archie would, would use profanity, and there we go. Oh. So, um, anyway, gosh, times have changed, haven't oh, they? Oh, and Antelope gets gored apart, and then Archie shows up at a black family's uh, party, and yeah. there it is. That was, okay. that was all okay. <laughs> I love so, it. anyway, the, what they do is they, they find five, an, five different animals. A chimpanzee, a lion, a hyena, a tiger, and a penguin. And they follow them in their sort of ritual um, habitat. And, you know, the idea being what do you have to go through to maintain the dynasty of your kind? What is, what is, and it's really a survival. The word dynasty is purely a marketing word here, but it's beautiful, beautiful photography. And uh, it's just uh, it's it's just wonderful nature documentary doc, nature documentary uh, documentary filmmaking. Mm. It's just beautifully done. So BBC Earth continues to do fantastic work, and highly recommended. Dynasties, the greatest of their kind. Neat, 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 neat. All right, uh, let you know. Let me get into the keynote stuff. Over there? Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll hit some keynote because we've got an interview today, and we're going to get to that interview right here in the middle of the keynote stuff. But I'm going to start with. Four fantastic titles uh, from the Kino uh, Classics line, the Studio Classics line, and they are four road movies. These are, the, they, they need to get all the rest of them out ASAP, but the fact that there are four out at the same time is so awesome, and they are four of the very best. Bing Crosby, Bob mm. Hope, mm. and Dorothy Lamour mm. in... The Road to Utopia. Actually, it's just Road to Utopia. Yeah. All, there's no the in front of any of these. I always do that. Road to Utopia, Road to Singapore, mm. Road to Zanzibar, <laughs> and the immortal, priceless, my favorite of all of them, Road to Morocco. Yeah. Uh, these movies are so priceless. I You have to have all of them because they're all so wonderful and they're all so funny. Anthony Quinn shows up in Road to Morocco, by yeah. the way. People don't realize that. 1942, young Anthony Quinn, Road to Morocco. It's fantastic. Um, the, the, the whole, the whole all, look, the stories of all of these are the same. These, these, <laughs> there's no point in even going, so the difference between the Road to Morocco and Road to Zanzibar is there is no difference. It's just a different place they're going to. Uh, Bing and Bob do a whole lot of shtick. 
They're con men. They're on their way to somewhere. Dorothy Lamour shows up, and Bob Hope gets to do a whole lot of row, and yeah. and there you go. And they get each other into trouble and out of trouble, and then and there's all kinds of fourth wall breaking, and you know, when Bob Hope looks at the camera, it's, <laughs> it's so much fun. I could I could sit honestly. I kid you not. If I didn't have to do anything of this like for a living, if I didn't have to see new movies and watch new DVDs and blue, honestly, I would probably wake up. I wouldn't even bathe or brush my teeth. <laughs> my wife would kill me. But if I didn't have any of those restraints, I, I would if I didn't have to worry about making a living and paying bills or any of that, I would probably just wake up, roll out of bed, not clean myself, sit down in front of a TV and watch Bob Hope and Elvis Presley movies all day long. <laughs> Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis, too. Yeah. And then I'd just go to bed. Yeah. I'd do that every day for the rest of my life, and I'd be perfectly happy. That's what I would do. Uh, I know that's sad. I know that's pathetic, but no, there dude, you go. I'd be right there with you, tossing some, mag- <laughs> tossing, tossing some Magnum PI so, every now and then. Oh, here. for sure. So anyway, there are audio commentaries on uh, some of these. The audio commentary by Jack Feakston on uh, Road to Morocco is is a whole lot of fun. Very informative. Uh, there are trailers on here, Trailers from Hell with John Landis. Uh, there's an audio commentary with uh, film historian Mark uh, or Will Friedwald and filmmaker Greg Ford on uh, Road to Utopia. Um, stuff on entertaining the troops on Road to Singapore, which of course was Bob Hope's, uh, you know, his passion, his claim to fame. And uh, Command Performance with Bob Hope, uh, 1944. On the road to Zanzibar, the these are just fun movies. They're just great. They're absolutely terrific. You can't go wrong. More road movies, please. Come on, Kino, get them all out. Do it, do it, do it. Next, and this is where our interview comes in. This is one of the most underrated movies of the '90s, Mad Dog and Glory. Yeah, directed by John McNaughton, who stormed in with Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. And um, really, really, you know, Wild Things was a John McNaughton film as well that pushed a lot of buttons. Really one of the most interesting directors of the last 20, 25 years. He's still at it. He's a Chicago native. He's back in Chicago now. And I had a chance to talk to John McNaughton for a few minutes the other day about Mad Dog and Glory. Let's just uh, plant the layout exactly what this is and why I'm this was such sure a big deal. I'm not sure you could even deal. make this movie today. You couldn't. This There's is no 1993. I, but thematically, I don't think. I don't you, know. It's you a good could. movie, and I love it. It's a really good movie, and what's so cool about it? And it's it's a it's a it's a it's a little bit like a you know we had uh, indecent proposal which mm-hmm. kind of treads in some of the, the tame te- same territory at the yep. time. But Indecent Proposal did it in a really obvious kind of exploitative way. This does it in a very intelligent way. And Bill Murray plays a gangster, mm-hmm. and Robert De Niro plays this kind of uh, milk-toasty crime scene photographer. Mm-hmm. There's a switch, right? You have a gangster slot, and you fill it with Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. And you have kind of a, a, a schlubby spot, and you fill it with Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yep, right it's there. It's what makes the movie memorable, uh, because both of them completely own those parts. Mm-hmm. And then you got Uma Thurman mm-hmm. between them. And Uma Thurman is part of, how do we put How do we put this? If you haven't seen the movie, I don't want to sort of give away the, the hook. But she's... Uh, she's a gift, is what she is. She's a gift. Yeah. To us as well. Yeah. She's wonderful yeah, in she's this. wonderful in this movie. Uh, 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 Caruso, what's his name? David Caruso's in this, too. Is in this movie, too. And, yeah. and frankly, him in this and him in The King of New York uh-huh. are the two performances that made him a yep. movie star for a little while. True. Yeah. 
uh, um, uh, before you know went on to yeah. when, when, when those when, that, that television show that he's in now. Yeah. But you know, for a little sure. while there, he was a movie star, Jade, and a couple other movies. It's, and that this performance in King of New York. The thing is, this is a, this is played. It, it people, I, I think people are wrong when they call this a comedy because mm. it's it has comic edges, mm-hmm. but it's it's more serious than just a straight comedy. It has a, it raises a lot of interesting issues, mm-hmm. and it's it's just, it's just a smart film and a smart smart script, uh, written by Richard Price, one of the best screenwriters of the past quarter century, shot by Robbie Muller, one mm-hmm. of the great cinematographers of all time, uh, and he talks about that too in our in our interview. And uh, this is just a really really smart film. Elmer Bernstein did the score. Uh, such a smart movie. Kathy Baker's in this as well. So, Mad Dog and Glory finally on Blu-ray, and I'm going to cut away right now and let you listen to my conversation with director John McNaughton. We are speaking today with John McNaughton, the director of Mad Dog and Glory, which uh, has become a real cult classic and is now finally out on Blu-ray, and uh, it's a it's a wonderful rediscovery for anyone that didn't see it the first time around in 1993. Um, John, Mad Dog and Glory is the first thing that everybody always says is that when, and I remember this really well when it was announced, and Robert De Niro and Bill Murray. And, oh, yeah, you know, one of them is, is going to be a crime scene photographer and the other one's going to be a gangster. Well, of course you're going to have Bill Murray as the crime scene photographer and Robert De Niro as the gangster. And and it turns out that we're completely that that that's the inverse of it. Um, it, it it's it, the the idea of taking these two actors that have such a sort of profile and casting them completely against type was a really brave thing to do. Talk about how that came to be, and whether you received any pushback on that. Uh, I was treated very well by everyone. Uh, Martin Scorsese, who was the producer, and uh, the studio, and they were very supportive. So, uh, you, you know, you, you say it's – I forget exactly how you refer to it, very brave or whatever. It was probably more stupid on my part. I was, you know, still pretty uh, young and, and uh, trying to trying to be transgressive, which was how I started my career. Uh, but interestingly, uh, you know, when, I, when Martin Scorsese asked me to – sent me the script and asked me to uh, – if I wanted to direct the film, which of course <laughs> it was a great script. It was Martin Scorsese, and uh, and I of course wanted to direct the film. But no one, I never had anybody pushed on me. So Marty told me at one point he said, "Well, you know, Bob has read this script and he really likes it. And uh, you know, would you be interested in talking to him?" And it's like, "No, I don't want to talk to Bob De Niro. You know, of course not." But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, Bob De Niro, sure, please yeah. let 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 me talk to him. So. He, you know, he was very interested, and uh, it was later on we saw a, a number of people for the gangster role, Frank Milo. Uh, but uh, it was very later on that that Bob suggested Bill Murray. Uh, I think Bob loves working with uh, people who are funny or hanging out with people who are funny. And when he mentioned Bill to me, I was just like, "Gee, that's that's an odd an odd choice." And it, after about 15 seconds, I went, "But it's a brilliant one." Uh, but we actually had. Two readings, two readings, table readings of the script to decide which role Bob would play. Bob was on board first. Bill, Bill wasn't with us yet. And, uh, you know, in the morning he read uh, uh, Mad Dog, and I think in the afternoon he read uh, The Gangster, Frank Milo. And interestingly, we had, you know, we had just John Turturro and just great New York act- actors at the table reads. But in the, in the one where uh, Bob did read uh, Mad Dog, 
uh, Christopher Walken read The Gangster, and that was that was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh wow, that would have been. Oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> I wish we had video. I really so do wish we had video. So uh, it would just to me, and I, you know, I always like to to try and do something you haven't seen before. That's what interests me when I read a script. Have I seen this before? And mostly the answer is yes. In Mad Dog and Glory, the answer is no. I've never seen this before. Never seen this story. Great, original, brilliantly written. Richard Price, etc. So it was just you know, it'd be easy for Bob to play the gangster. It's the expected thing. It'd be you know much more. Uh, palatable, I guess, to a mainstream audience to see Bill play the, the uh, mild-mannered guy. Uh, but we just felt it would be much more of a challenge for all of us to flip the roles. Well, it's, it's, it's the thing that I think really sets the film apart, even today, and especially today, because we look back on it, and it's still... It, their, their chemistry in the film is so perfect. I mean, it really is. It just it, it worked out exactly as I think the film needed it to work out. And the interesting thing to me, I mean, I remember very well, I was starting, you know, just fresh out of film school at the time and, um, uh, you know, writing lots of reviews and trying to sort of, uh, you know, show my chops. And I remember the thing that stood out to me at the time was that we hadn't really seen Bill Murray go in this direction before. We'd seen him, he'd tried going dramatic once before in Razor's Edge a decade earlier in, in directing himself, didn't really quite work out. And... He then, you know, was coming off of What About Bob? He had just done Groundhog Day, and so, you know, those are two of his biggest hits, and he was kind of, everybody kind of felt like here he is, you know, he's getting his comedy on again, and, uh, and you put him in Mad Dog and Glory and reminded us that there's a whole different dimension to him as an actor, and I, and I think that was, when we look at where he is today as an actor, which is considered a much more serious um, character actor, um, that really kind of starts with Mad Dog and Glory. Is that ever, have you ever really given that any thought? Well, I, I hope so. Uh, you know, like I said, they were both challenged because they weren't playing their standard characters. And uh, I think they both acquitted themselves uh, magnificently. But these days, I'm teaching at Second City now, teaching a master class in directing at the new Harold Ramis Film School. And I show, you know, I show Mad Dog to them and I watch Bill's performance and it just sort of floors me how good he is in that role. Yeah. Uh, you know, because he's, you make a movie and then you don't see it for 10 years, 12 years or uh, and it's it's a whole new film when you see it those so many years later. But he's just really great. And Bob, too. Bob is playing this, you know, kind of milquetoast character, uh, which is not who he is in, in person. He, he seems a little bit – well, it's funny that, that that Marty was involved, too, because he seems a little bit slightly – just one step removed from Rupert Pupkin in uh, in King of Comedy. Uh, there's, a, there's a slight Rupert to, to his performance yep. as well. Yeah. Um, so – Talk, talk talk for a second too about the script. You know, you had a Richard Price script, and uh, Richard Price had, I, I think, just done Clockers the year before, and you know, obviously a really distinguished name. Uh, how did the how did this talk just a little bit about how the film came together from the script stage? Well, as I say, Martin. Uh, again, I was sitting in my old loft here in Chicago on Milwaukee Avenue, and one day the phone rang, and it was a woman named Melanie Friesen who worked as Marty's development person. And she uh, said, is this John McNaughton? I said, yeah. And he, she goes, well, I'm Melanie Priest, I work for Marty Scorsese. And uh, I saw your movie, Henry, and I really loved it. And I showed it to Marty, and he loved it. And he wants to talk to you. And I was sort of like, yeah, who is this really? You know, uh, but it was all, you know, it was on the up and up. And she says, well, are you going to be there in 15 minutes? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll make it a point to be here in 15 minutes. And he called. 
And he said he had this script he'd like me to read. So he, you know, and I had turned down so many scripts uh, that were bad. Uh, and because after Henry, I just kept getting bad horror film scripts. So I said, you know, I, I was so happy to hear from Martin Scorsese and I knew who Richard Price was uh, and his books. And the script came and I said a prayer, please God, let this be good because if I don't like it, I'm still gonna have to turn it down. And uh, of course the first page was like, holy, this someone who can really write, this guy is like, you know, and it was just a fabulous script. And I will say that Richard Price's ear for dialogue is so acute and, you know, he can write, he can slice it so thin. And uh, so when we were in, we had two weeks rehearsal with myself, Uma Bob and Bill, and you know we sort of took a, a made a vow that we weren't going to mess with the dialogue, especially Bill, who you know king of improv. Uh, he did a certain amount of improv stuff that he'd added, but we never changed Richard's dialogue hardly a bit. And we had Richard in for the second week of rehearsal, so any any problems the actors did have, Richard custom tailored uh, the script to their you know. Right. spec so it was like by the time we hit this the set you know it was like custom tailored clothing those roles you, you, you know your collaborators on this too uh when we look back on this now with a little bit of perspective it's it's really amazing not just De Niro and Bill Murray but you had Uma Thurman Kathy Baker and then you had two of the all-time great collaborators I, I just like to hear a little bit about that too working with uh Elmer Bernstein and particularly with Robbie Muller on the cinematography. Robbie just passed uh, only a few yeah. months ago, middle of last year. And such a distinguished career, uh, you know, working with Vim Vendors and with uh, Barbe Schroeder and, uh, and Jim Jarmusch. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, really, really just an, even Peter, I think he did a couple of films for Peter Bogdanovich and Alex Cox. So, I mean, it's just, you know, one of the all-time great DPs with such a versatile eye. Talk about what it was like working with uh, with them and, and what they brought to the film. Well, I'll start with Elmer because uh, I uh, my my associate my my knowledge of Elmer goes back to childhood. It was that, and when I was a kid, I played the piano, and uh, oh. I would you know I would play. I had a great piano teacher, Mrs. Frank, and you know we'd get sheet music, and this you know I played all the old uh, American Songbook for my father, and I resented it at the time because I loved rock and roll and. Uh, now I'm so happy because I know all that music, which is such great music. But I used to play occasionally um, movie and or television theme music. And uh, I remember Walk on the Wild Side, which Elmer wrote and, you know, conducted. And so I knew, you know, uh, again, uh, when I would listen to, to music and film and TV, occasionally I'd hear something that was exceptionally good. And I go, Nick, I have to see this again. Uh, who, who did this? You know, there was no Internet. You couldn't look it up. And all of a sudden, the name that kept coming up was Elmer Bernstein, Elmer Bernstein. Uh, he did the theme for a, a TV show starring Darren McGavin called Riverboat, which is a really cool piece of music that I, I used to hear every week and loved. So getting to work with Elmer, I mean, meeting Elmer uh, was just, God, it was just, just such a thrill. Uh, and uh, then working at the, the old BMG Studios uh, recording in New York, which used to be uh, the RCA Studios where... Uh, Toscanini recorded the RCA, uh, you know, Philharmonic Symphony Orchestra, and Elvis recorded, and everybody recorded. Uh, unfortunately, gone now. I think we had a 62-piece orchestra, uh, Elmer conducting. It was like, oh, my God, where am I? I'm in heaven. I died and went to heaven, sitting in the booth as he recorded that score. He was just such a lovely gentleman. I, uh, he was fabulous. 
Uh, Robbie, on the other hand, is without a doubt a brilliant cinematographer. I, you know, I, I always loved his work, but he was pretty prickly, and we didn't always see eye to eye. Uh, we got through, we got through it, and and you know, but he and I had our good days and bad days, shall I say? But uh, there were times I wanted to fire him. <laughs> well, you know, Quite but honestly, it's, uh, but I've I heard that. Daily and I've heard that from others too. Yeah. I've heard that from others too about Robbie. And, yeah. I go to dailies and see the work and I go, okay, one more day, <laughs> Robbie. <laughs> and we made it, you know, we made it. So. Well, it's, uh, it all came together beautifully. And, uh, you know, it really is. I, I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing now that it's on Blu-ray and uh, everybody can rediscover it. Uh, looking at least as well as it did in, in 1992. I think the Blu-ray is really a, it's a wonderful transfer and it'll, uh, It'll it'll gain a whole new generation of followers. Um, oh, good. <laughs> John, thank you for speaking with us, and um, okay, wish you wish you all the best with this. Is there anything uh, coming up uh, soon that we should be looking for from you? Well, I've been working on various projects, but who can say? It's, just, yeah. it's like you know, it's, it's Sisyphus. You roll the rock up the hill, and then it gets right to the precipice, and yeah. then it rolls over your toes. You know, so yeah. I had a great project uh, going uh, with uh, Flannery O'Connor's "A Good Man Is Hard to Find." Uh, which was one of my favorite short stories from one of the greatest story writers America has ever produced. Uh, working on it for about a year, and uh, one day the producer disappeared. So if uh, <laughs> he just disappeared, I, I can't wow. find him. Uh, uh, so who can say? You know, I, I, I really loved that project, and maybe it'll be resurrected. But uh, I always have a number of projects rolling that those rocks up the hill. And hopefully well, soon one of them will, will make it over the precipice. Well, keep pushing, and uh, we wish <laughs> all right. you all the best, and we'll speak soon. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Take care. All right. And there it is. So super nice guy, John McNaughton. Uh, wish him all the best, and uh, happy to have Mad Dog and Glory on, on Blu-ray. Really uh, just a terrific re-release. Um, good year, 1993. It was a good year, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was, whole that was I mean, that was that's that's one of my favorite all-time years. It's it's uh, you know Schindler's List mm. and the piano and Farewell My Concubine, which won the Cannes Film Festival, and that's uh, you know remains of the day. Mm. I mean, that was an amazing, amazing year. Um, all right, here's uh, I'll, I'll go through the rest of these uh, these uh, uh, Kino titles really, really quickly. Um, they they're all. All great. All of these worth having. Before and After, the Barbe Schroeder film with Meryl Streep and Liam Neeson. Mm. Uh, just a, a, an absolutely uh, sharp, sharp movie. Um, Barbe Schroeder, you know, uh, we obviously Barbe Schroeder, somebody that Robbie Muller had worked with, mentioned that as mm-hmm. well with uh, with John McNaughton. Um, it's a it's a great thriller. Some of the best performances you will ever see from Meryl Streep and Liam Neeson. Um, you know, it's it's not a um, it's not a necessarily unique story, but the performances are just absolutely perfect. And Edward Furlong is yeah. in this. I'd forgotten about yeah. that. Um, the Doctor with William Hurt, uh, directed by Randa Haynes. Whatever happened to Randa Haynes? Yeah, Children of a Lesser God, and then yeah. the Doctor, and we thought she was going to break that glass ceiling, yeah. and um, she kind of went away. Yeah. I mean, it's very sad. Um, this is a wonderful movie about a doctor who gets cancer, and. If you've ever been through, my father died of cancer. I've had a lot of uh, mm. a lot of uh, close friends die from cancer. And if you've ever been through the system, you know, you you get very cynical about it because mm. you realize that there's a, a lot of money to be made in treating cancer. And man, this movie is the only one I've ever seen that just owns that fact. And there's yeah. a there's a speech in it 
where he just he lays it all out there and it's beautiful it's devastating but it's beautiful yeah audio yeah. commentary uh with randa haynes moderated by uh, heather buckley who's a filmmaker um beautiful movie produced by laura ziskin a lot of names we just don't see on movies anymore yeah. frankly yeah. elizabeth perkins so good in that too duets movie i'd completely forgotten about uh this is a really really sweet film uh directed by bruce paltrow father of gwyneth paltrow and uh, it's just one of those uh, fun kind of comedy dramas about six people who, um, you know, kind of get their lives get tied together uh, through a karaoke championship. And uh, it's just all about these wonderful, wonderful uh, performances. Uh, Gwyneth obviously is in it because dad's not going to leave his daughter out. Uh, she means too much. Mm-hmm. Maria Bello, Paul Giamatti, Andre Brower, Scott Speedman, uh, Huey Lewis. Yeah. Those are the people. It's a, it's a fun, fun cast. Uh, the Midnight Man with Burton Lancaster. Uh, I had forgotten how much I really, really enjoyed this movie. Uh, this is a this is a really, really fun 1974 movie at a time when, you know, some of the Burton Lancaster is getting a little long in the tooth and he's not the star that he used to be. Um, but he's still he's still got it. He plays a tough Chicago cop uh, who uh, has done a stint in prison because he lost his mind and killed his wife's lover. And um, so now he's trying to get his, his job back, his, his life back together again. And uh, he's still got, you know, the, the fire in the belly. It's a, it's a good, it's a good uh, thriller, thriller mystery. I think, I, think, I, think he, I think he has a director's credit on that, if I'm not mistaken. On The Midnight Man? Yeah. yeah did he direct it too? He yeah, did. he did. He co-directed it with Roland Kibbe. Yeah. yeah he, it's, it's all him. It's all him. Uh, the Favor, with a very young Brad Pitt and a, and a ridiculously young Bill Pullman, and a hysterical mullet-sporting Ken Wall. Uh, and they're not even the, the funniest. And Elizabeth McGovern is, has a total 80s hairstyle. It's, it's, uh, it's quite a thing. This is a 1994 movie that really is still rooted deeply in the 80s. Mm. And uh, it's not great, but it's directed by Donald Petrie of the Petrie family. They all do decent work. Good score by Thomas Newman. Um, but it's, you know, it's, uh, it is a... Uh, it's a romantic comedy that addresses all of those uh, those yeah. lighthearted relationship tropes that we learned to live with in the nineties. Harley Jane Kozak I used to be nuts about her. <laughs> I know where'd yeah. she go? Ah, yeah, yeah. See, people been, come and go. Been, been twenty five years. Too. They all come and go. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple here about uh, love and relationships from two different eras. One is losing it. Uh, losing it is one of those movies that sort of like came from the Porky's era. It's nineteen eighty three. And it's obviously all about its title. The funniest thing about losing it is who made it and who's in it. Yeah. It's got Tom Cruise in it. Yeah. And it was directed by Curtis Hansen. And uh, if you were to have a trivia game and to say, when did Curtis Hansen direct Tom Cruise? <laughs> I guarantee you, nobody is going to come up with losing it no. except our podcast yeah. listeners. <laughs> now you win the pot. Um, it's not a very good movie. But it's just interesting because who's in it? Shelley Long is in it, and you know Jackie Earl Haley, and uh, it, it's you know for for what it is for for you know it's it's okay. Uh, the other one is Lovers and Other Strangers, which is a lot better from 1970. Uh, Lovers and Other Strangers is probably most famous for the song, and uh, the, the that really is kind of sort of the the. The, the root of this, Cy Howard directed this. I don't know anything else that Cy Howard did. But uh, they did a new 4K scan of the original camera negative, which is in pretty decent shape. It's not restored. It's not perfect. It looks pretty good. 
Um, there's an audio commentary with Lee Gambin on this that contextualizes it. Um, it's based on a play. If you're not familiar with the play, then you, you probably wouldn't really understand the historical context. So you do need to listen to the audio commentary. Joe Bologna mm. and Renee Taylor wrote the play. And then they adapted into this uh, movie, which is kind of a little bit like a Love American style with a with slightly better cast. Yeah, uh, a lot of people in this thing: B. B. Arthur, um, Cloris Leachman, Gig Young, Harry Guardino, names that were you know all legendary in the '70s and the '80s. And uh, that's all it is. It's yeah. just uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a look at love in the 1960s and the early 70s. Yes, I wrote that's my boy. That Martin and Lewis movie. Oh, did he? Is yeah, that where he wrote, came from? wrote that movie? Yeah. Okay, Smothers got it. Brothers, that kind of guy. Yeah. We got uh, for a few dollars more is finally out. They've released the others in the uh, Dollars trilogy already. So the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly and uh, uh, Fistful of Dollars already out on Blu-ray. Now a few, few dollars more is out. So it's the whole thing is lots of extras here. So pretty good transfer. I think they can still do better. But, um, you know, a ton of extras all on the history of the film and, you know, uh, location comparisons and trailers from hell with Ernest Dickerson. It's, mm. it's, it's all right. Um, a great movie. I just wish the transfer were a little bit better. They are not taking care of the elements as much as I would. I wish they had. Yeah. Uh, suppose they gave a war and nobody came. This has totally fallen away, and I'm sorry that it has. Another movie from 1970, directed by the great High Averback, and uh, what a fun movie this is. Um, really, really great comedic performances by Ernest Borgnine and Suzanne Plachette in particular. Um, Donna Michi is is just wonderful in this. Bradford Dillman, Ivan Dixon, Brian, Brian Keith. Keith. It's yeah. a it's a it's a really fun ensemble, uh, and it's a, it you know it it's a little bit like a lot of those comedies from the sixties and the seventies. You could uh, Mad 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 World. Mm. Um, there, oh, there's one that was uh, what was the Norman Lear one? Um, uh, oh, I'm, I'm thinking of the one with Alan Arkin and the guys. Uh, uh, Catch Twenty Two. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's got it's got uh, aspects of of all of those, and it's a uh, it's a military thing. It's you know it's a bunch of guys on an army base uh, at war with the people in the nearby town, and you know it's it's madcap and it's hysterical. And it's an all star cast, and everybody's great. And I just love Suzanne Plachette. Can yeah. I say that? Yeah, we we she was like. Oh, oh my God, Suzanne Plachette! Don't even get me started. I know between really? her and Barbara Eaton and Elizabeth Montgomery, there I just, it is. you know, I just, and just... and 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 Barbara Feldon. Oh my God, and uh, yeah. Batgirl. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, Tim. Oh my God, <laughs> it's, there it is. Uh, Rock Hudson, Robert Stack, and Dorothy Malone in the Tarnished Angels, directed by the great Douglas Sirk. Uh, not one of Douglas Sirk's best films, but certainly a very interesting film. This is from 1957. It's right in that pocket when he's making, when he's really kind of trying to infuse genre movies with otherwise very significant themes. Well, and that's the, that's based on a Faulkner novel. Yes, so which is a little yeah. he's a little trapped by Faulkner's yeah. story uh, to begin with, but uh, it's a decent adaptation uh, of the Faulkner uh, by George Zuckerman. Kind of a real journeyman workman like screenwriter, and uh, but otherwise you're watching it for the stars, and they're they're fine. It's you know it's a big flamboyant Faulkner story, but uh, the stars are good. And then three more here uh, from the uh, from the wonderful people at 3D Film Archive who continue to do these really interesting 3D uh, restorations for Kino is Javaro Headhunters of the Amazon. Now 
it's not a good film. It's a really silly movie from 1954. It's one of those silly adventure movies that's shot entirely on backlots, and it's preposterous, and there's no reason to see it other than for the same reason that you saw the one that came before it, Sangaree, which was released some months ago as well from the uh, 3D Film Archive and Kino. And the reason you're watching this is because the... Uh, this the 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 3D work in this is really fascinating mm. and it's really good and if you're interested in kind of studying the history of 3D uh, this is a great evolution and especially comparing it to Sangaree. Uh, what I really like about this is the casting. I find the casting hilarious. Brian Keith again, but here we go. Rhonda Fleming. Always love Rhonda Fleming because yeah. she married Ted Mann and yeah. I used to work for Mann Theaters and I've seen Rhonda Fleming many times in the flesh and she's lovely. Uh, and this was before she married Ted Mann and gave up her acting career. But most importantly, Fernando Lamas. Yes. Father of Lorenzo. to look good. He never said that. <laughs> never. Bill, Bill but that's I never know. What I go do. But, but you know what? If it's, it, The truth is he's better looking than his kid. Yeah. <laughs> Lorenzo. Yeah. Lorenzo's tried to make a career being a real honk on TV on, uh, oh, you know. Oh, it was that, that riding around that motorcycle. Yeah. Thing, you know, but, uh, no. No. <laughs> Fernando had it going on and he takes his shirt off and he does look good. He looks <laughs> phenomenal. Todd Haynes, Far From Heaven. Oh, wow. Uh, this is a relatively Speaking of Douglas uh, Sirk. Douglas Sirk, yeah. exactly. 2002, Todd Haynes, who is really hit and miss in movies, but God bless him, he takes he takes risks. Mm-hmm. He's an experimental filmmaker yes. by, by nature. That's the thing that I always say, you know, I'm not there yeah. not about Todd Haynes. This is an experimental filmmaker. He Look takes at his, risks. Yeah. And if it doesn't pan out, okay, it doesn't pan out. He's going to do something different the next time. Yeah. So he, he pops out of a different hole every single time, and you never know what to expect. But when he hits a home run, like he does in Far From Heaven, he nails it. Yeah. And the thing about Far From Heaven, uh, which is a straight-up Douglas Sirk melodrama, and there are comparisons online I recommend people to check out, which do frame-by-frame analysis of shots in here that are taken right out, out of yeah. uh, All That Heaven Allows and all of these other Douglas Sirk films that that are that are, where he's, he clearly is bringing this huge Sirkian IQ to this movie. And it's a big, blaring melodrama, and, you know, Dennis Quaid is so, so good in it. And um, uh, uh, Dennis Haysbert, uh, I think maybe af- after, after that, no, wait, Love Field might have been Love his Field. first big film. Yeah. But the, I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dennis Haysbert, very good in that movie. Really good. And Soderbergh was a producer on this along with George Clooney. You know, it came through their company, and uh, it's really great. Uh, John Wells was an executive producer. I mean, a lot of important people made it possible for this film to make it through. Yeah. But here's the other thing about this um, it's not straight. Cirque. It's because Todd Haynes is a fan of Fassbender, mm-hmm. and Fassbender is a fan of Cirque. Mm-hmm. So he's giving you his interpretation of Fassbender's vision of a Douglas Cirque homage. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. It's like two levels deep in the in the cinema nerd. Uh, pedigree, and and, and, I, and I think that we have to say that uh, filtering it through the gay sensibilities, uh, Dennis Quaid being a closeted uh, gay man, closeted gay man, Todd yeah. Haynes and all that kind of stuff. Very, very, very. You get a different. Which, you get a. You, you, you get a different thing there. It's it's almost. It's what he's doing is he's taking the struggles from Cirque's lust for life, mm-hmm. and he's taking them away from race and putting it into into the it, realm of sexuality. It, exactly. Exactly. Because Cirque's sensibilities and structure lends itself to that, mm-hmm. and Fassbender, of course famously bisexual Mm -hmm. and dealt with both race and sexuality in his movies so if you're if you look at this through the prism of Todd Haynes and and uh, Rainer Fassbender Mm. Werner Rainer Fassbender and Douglas Sirk 
you're, you're seeing, a, you know, three different eras, three different sensibilities, three different great filmmakers. It's, it's, a, it's with all, a deep With movie. all of these issues at hand. Interesting stuff. So good. And then the last one here is uh, from the American Film Theater. And, you know, that was a – they released the box set of all the American Film Theater mo- movies a while back on DVD. Now they're with Kino. Uh, this was a um, – this was from this. This was a, 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 a kind of an experimental thing that the Eli Landau operation organization did um, in the 1970s, mainly where they went and they did filmed versions of a lot of famous th- plays, famous stage plays, and they wanted to sort of give them the big epic sheen, big screen treatment, and uh, that was called the American Film Theater, and it was a, a whole series of films. I think it was about eight or nine of them in total. Might have been about as many as fifteen. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is from 1973, and it's the Iceman Comet. Oh, Frankenheimer. The Frankenheimer? Yes. Yeah. This is the Frankenheimer version of it. And they went and they really, really nailed it. They took, you know, famous Eugene O'Neill play, and they conscripted John Frankenheimer to direct it. And then they went and just nailed it with the cast. Lee Marvin, Frederick March, Jeff Bridges, Robert Ryan, Bradford Dillman, bang. And there it is. It's like and, a, this is like a three-hour movie, if I recall. It is Four hours. Four hours. <laughs> it oh is yeah, four I, I, hours. I remember, yeah. Moses it, Gunn. Uh, yeah, I remember this movie. But it's good. Yeah. It's really, really good. And uh, it, it's it's one of the best of the American film theater ones. It's on two discs. Uh, there is the complete four-hour director's cut on disc one. And then on disc two is a restoration of what you remember, which is the three-hour theatrical yes. cut. Okay, yes, yes, yes. So, uh, and then there's an interview with e, uh, with Edie Landau, who's the widow of uh, Eli Landau, and uh, a uh, promotional film for the whole series, the whole concept of the American film theater. That's really, really interesting. But yeah, Jeff Bridges uh, is, is is you know super young in this. It's one of his first films, and he just he stands up with Lee Marvin and all the rest of them, and he just he owns it. Does a really really good job. Robert Ryan, all grizzled and aging, it's just beautiful. And for those who don't know, you know, Iceman Cometh is one of the all time great oh, Broadway. Hickey. I played I played I played Hickey in high school. Did you really? Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh! Sherman sure played Hickey. Uh, Hick, Hickey is the central character. Yeah. I think Lee Marvin plays him in the movie. Yeah. The, 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 the salesman he's going to yeah. do. Uh, Sherman played him at the uh, Pasadena Playhouse about yeah. 1995. Sherman, it, our friend Sherman. Yeah. yeah. There's a great, there's a great, it's, it, and one of my favorite things about Iceman Cometh isn't even Iceman Cometh. It's the line that Dustin Hoffman has in Tootsie where he talks about, you know, <laughs> I was in the Iceman Cometh. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I don't even remember the line, but I just remember laughing because it was just, it's just so completely out of place. <laughs> but anyway, oh, so yeah. there it is. The, all from Kino. It's a wonderful, wonderful month of uh, Kino releases, especially those road movies. Yeah. Fantastic. Good stuff, good stuff. Let's do uh, TV. We'll do some TV? Yeah. Uh, the Love Boat, uh, Season 4, Volume 1, Season 4. They, they sent us Volume 2 last time, and we didn't get Volume 1, so, so I wanted this, to make sure we, we talked about Volume yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Neat stuff here. Of course, you know, ridiculous uh, nuts about The Love Boat. Uh, special features include some of the uh, episode uh, promos. I used to love those episode oh, promos. I love them. They would do right before. Yeah. They, they're just, just most fantastic, fantastic. stuff they were. Um, so uh, uh, Season 4 from Volume 1. Uh, includes a few special features, Fred Grandi and the folks. Um, Soul Food, the complete series. All four seasons of uh, Soul Food, the series. Soul Food, the movie, George Tillman film. Yep. About 1996, seven, something Which like that. Which our friend Tino ghost wrote. wrote. Yeah, 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 yeah. She didn't get a credit for it, but she did. She introduced Big Mama. She did. She yeah, introduced she, a lot she, of the essential she, she, elements. She, she, she fixed yeah. the movie. She did. <laughs> is, she did. Is, is what she yeah. did. And uh, th- so this series, which is a series that I love, ran from about 2000, 2004. It's something like that. This series, Soul Food. Uh, Vanessa Williams, the other Vanessa Williams and everybody. 74 
episodes on 19 this um you know look uh, a lot of black folks uh went through this television series mm-hmm. uh and uh, and uh, it you know it started a lot of careers started a lot of careers right started now. a lot of careers it really did and it and it's you know it's a sharp show it's it's so, i mean i hate to i hate to do to do the black white analogy things like you know empire is basically just a black dynasty but it is yeah um, uh, soul food has its own profile, but in a way, it's kind of like a like a black eight is enough. Yeah, yeah, is kind exactly. of what it's, it is. It's, it's just yeah, it's literally uh, this sort of family yeah. drama, you know. But it, but it, you know, most of the people I know who love soul food are are like white and Hispanic families <laughs> because the exact because, same family, yeah, the same family. It's, yeah. it's like literally the yeah. same family. I saw the neat there. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hold the sunset, John Cleese uh, series, which was sort of funny. John Cleese, Allison Steadman. It's about uh, uh, this this older couple uh, who are ready to retire. Uh, she's going to marry John Cleese, and then their her fifty year old son uh, moves in with them. Uh, and it's funny. Uh, what are you going to do? BBC sort of thing. John Cleese um, in that series called uh, The Sunset. Bonus features include some blooper, some blooper reels. Uh, Vera, season eight. Uh, Vera, uh, just good a, show. DC, D, uh, she's so DCI good. Vera. She's just so good, and it just does a great, great. Brenda Blethyn, baby. Uh, um, uh, just doing outstanding work in this series. What is it about the British and their sort of? Uh, you, you had Helen Mirren uh, in the the Inspector you, you know, series. The, you the, had procedurals it, and mysteries are they just run in the British blood? Yeah. And I don't know if it's a Conan Doyle thing. I don't know where it quite come comes from, but it it really because it's it's almost a phenomenon strictly of the 1950s and 60s forward. Yeah. It's like Agatha Christie maybe sort of lit that fuse. I don't know, but they but they're incomparably good at it. Yeah, you, you know, you do this series if they did this series or one like it in the United yeah. States, she would be uh, about 40 and hot. <laughs> I was going to say 25 or, and hot. Or, you know, maybe, you know something like that. They'd but find it, a reason for yeah. Maker at 25. But, but in the UK, they let people look like people, and they give yeah. them jobs that didn't make I just, Yeah, anyway, the old dames. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, Blue Bloods, man. Um, uh, eighth season. Uh, those, I, never, I never expected this show to last I, that long. It's, it's insane. Longer on this, Tom Selleck, than, than it was... Magnum P.I. Yeah, Isn't you know? that crazy? Isn't that, it's just, 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 just nuts, but there it is. Uh, uh, family of Cops. Family of Cops in Chicago. That's it's what good, the show's all show. about. Uh, yeah. Wahlberg, it's a pretty good show. Longer on Blue Bloods than Magnum P.I. It's uh, unbelievable. Uh, the final season of House of Cards. Uh, man, yeah. he jacked the... That's what we were talking about. I know. This is I what know. we were talking about. He they, just they jacked found, everybody. They found a way to get another season out of it. Yeah. But how many more seasons would there have been yeah. if, if he, he hadn't... Behave. Just behave, for just God's behave. sakes, man. You're a grown man, for God's sakes. Anyway, uh, at least Robin uh, had uh, had the opportunity to yeah. tap it all out yeah. uh, properly and just get the hell out of there. Um, volume 6, uh, chapters 66 through 74. Three, the final season of House of Cards. Yeah, and I never did watch the last ship. This is the fifth and uh, final season, the fifth complete season, I should say. Um, I, I hadn't uh, heard I, of you, it. I, I just, hadn't heard of it. I don't know. Uh, Sherm did an I'm episode t- of I think, it. I think third season is when I heard of it or yeah. first. It was yeah. I mean, it, there's too much television right yeah. now. That's yeah. part of the problem. And Things get lost. And, and to be honest with you, network television, ABC, CBS, yeah. NBC, Fox. Ah, unwatchable. Mostly. It is unwatchable. Unwatchable. This is actually mostly. a really interesting show, and uh, it makes me want to go back and kind of catch up on it, and and maybe binge the mm. whole thing. It's a, it's it's it's, it's pretty sharp stuff. Um, TNT, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. TNT. Yeah, cool. TNT. Um, then real quickly, uh, Ken Follett's the key to Rebecca. Remember when everything Ken Follett was yeah. on TV back in the seventies? Uh, so yeah, Ken Follett, you know, wrote a lot of cheesy, uh, kind of thrillery, mystical, semi. 
um, not really science fiction, but they all kind of felt like science fiction. They, 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 they all verged on that a little bit. So Ken Follett wrote uh, a lot of that kind of cheesy stuff back in the day. Uh, and uh, he wrote The Key to Rebecca, which they made into a TV movie with Cliff Robertson and David Soule. And more importantly, Season Hubley. Yes. Oh, my God. That's another one. I can't, I, they, they, they keep coming back to me. I'm so uh, nuts about Season Hubley. It's nuts. Uh, so it all takes place in uh, Cairo during World War II, and it's a spy story. Uh, and it's rather silly and, and you know, gets into a whole lot of uh, – it, it's just, you know, Egypt is a mystical backdrop, and it, where it goes is rather silly. It's like the mummy without the mummy. But nonetheless, if you like Cliff Robertson, if you like David Soul, and I love David Soul, yeah. uh, don't give up on it. <laughs> I still remember when he sang that on, uh, oh. on Starsky and Hutch. Uh, Legendary Beasts is a uh, – a limited series. It's three little kind of CGI-driven documentary installments that look at three mythical figures, notably the Kraken, Mega Jaws, and Bird Monster. Uh, The Kraken is probably the only one that anybody will obviously tune into and go, oh, I've heard of the Kraken. Release the Kraken. Everybody knows that. (laughs) Uh, But uh, there's some other weird stuff here, like, you know, the, the, the Dakuwaka, the all-knowing shark god. I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. That's a thing? Really? So, I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's okay, mid-level CGI. It's kind of a fun thing to put on in the background. I just wish that Leonard Nimoy narrated it. Ancient Secrets of the Bible, the complete series. Uh, this is a big award-winning thing that goes into a, a whole lot of... Uh, it, it, it takes a... Uh, not quite scholarly approach, but a relatively scholarly approach to certain questions, things, supernatural things in the Bible. Is it symbolic? Was it fact? Was it fiction? Is it somewhat fact, somewhat fiction? What was it? Was it an extrapolation of something else? Is there anything to it, or is it just mm. do we do we not know? And some are obviously better than others. Uh, you know, some of them are silly, like Israel's miracle war was the Six Day War, the start of Armageddon. No, no, it no. wasn't. No, no. <laughs> and I don't need to watch this to know that. No, it, it wasn't. Uh, Categorically, it was not. That's a stupid one. Uh, but then there's stuff like, you know, um, have we found the Garden of Eden? Well, that's an interesting thing. Hmm? And, and, they, and they handle it very nicely. Um, you know, then there's dumb stuff like, can the Bible code predict the future? No, 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 no it can't. No. no, because there is no Bible code. That's no. just that's just a, a made-up thing, made so up stop thing. that. Yeah. Uh, but then you get stuff like, uh, you know, Jesus' travels. Did Jesus journey beyond the Holy Land? Did Jesus go to India? Mm. Well, there are legends, you know, mm. and that's interesting. So there's a lot of stuff on here. It's a really interesting series. Um, and then lastly here, Miracles, The Power of Faith, also from uh, Mill Creek. Uh, this is a similar kind of a thing, four episodes that go into alleged real-life miracles and events in people's lives, things interpreted as miracles. Are the, Is this something spiritual? Is it something scientific? You know, this kind of takes some of the, somewhat the same investigative approach and is quite well done. It's not as sensational as you would expect it to be. Four uh, in parts in religion, miracles, and prayer, angels, spirit guides, and signs, miracle healings and spirit bodies, and synchronicity, science, and astral travel, mm. which is where it gets a little weird. But yeah. miracles, the power of faith, interesting series. Neat, neat stuff. Yep. Uh, damages. Uh, the complete series here, Glenn Close and Rose Byrne in this series, uh, kind of came and went. But nevertheless, um, uh, unlike uh, with the Academy Awards, uh, which uh, Glenn still hasn't won one. Uh, I know, but she will with Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, I'm, I'm, th- I'm kind of yeah. thinking so, right? Uh, yeah. Well, she, she got two Emmy Awards for this. So, you know, she hey, did. Yeah, yeah. So, she's got something. Yeah, yeah. So that's not nothing. Uh, courtroom drama is basically what this is. Yeah, uh, Damage was a good series. 
Good series. And she made and she made it. Yeah, yeah. A series. lot of neat people came through the series too. Lily yeah. Tomlin, Martin Short, uh, yeah. you know, sort of playing dramatic roles, which yep. was, which was kind of neat. Uh, so far as I'm concerned, anyway, the Brokenwood Mysteries series five is about this detective that goes to the small town of Brokenwood. Uh, to investigate a crime uh, and ends up staying there. Uh, again, a, a, a solid as a rock sort of uh, detective series uh, coming out of the UK. You know, can't 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 uh, say anything bad about that. From George R. R. Martin, uh, Night Flyers season one. Uh, so this is a series. Uh, actually, I don't know the story, but in this series, um, they're on the ship because the world is coming to an end. So they mm. get on the ship called the Night Flyer, and they and they and, they're, and they launch out, and they're gonna. Uh, uh, they're going to rendezvous with this alien vessel and figure out what's going on. And you never see the captain. It's kind of creepy. It's basically just a horror movie. It kind of reminded me of Event Horizon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. So I, I imagine fans of George R.R. will be interested in this. Not a single thing by way of a special feature on uh, uh, season one. Probably doesn't okay. deserve it. All right, we're going to wrap out with some Shout Classic catalog titles, uh, starting with some Shout Select stuff. First one I want to make mention of is Backbeat, which I really highly recommend. Yeah. I love Backbeat. I'm so glad that they've done this. They've made a Shout Select title out of it with a lot of great extras. Uh, Backbeat might also be the best Stephen Dorff performance ever. Yeah. Um, and Ian Softley, you know, fine director, some of his best work as well. Backbeat is all about Stuart Sutcliffe, who is otherwise known as the Fifth, the fifth Beatle. Beatle yeah, now, right. Stuart Sutcliffe, there's also the other guy who was a Beatle, whose name I'm forgetting. The uh, drummer guy. Uh, yeah, who, who was before uh, Ringo. Before Ringo, yeah, the drummer. I can't remember Who was name too good looking. <laughs> yeah. So, right? Yeah. And he was too good of a drummer. Yeah. So they got rid of him and brought Ringo. And they, yeah, I got a big nose and I'm kind of lame. Hey, hi. <laughs> I make, I'll make movies like Caveman and marry Barbara Bach. My name's Ringo. Uh. Uh, and he'll probably outlive all the rest of them, yeah, too. Yeah, man. So, but anyway, other than that guy whose name we're forgetting, uh, Stuart Sutcliffe was was a fifth Beatle, um, and he was not fired. He walked away. Yeah. And uh, fascinating life. Stephen Dorff plays him. And uh, it's it's really, really a good movie. It's such a it's such an interesting, unknown story. Uh, Cheryl Lee, uh, coming right off of Twin Peaks, does a beautiful job as the as the his romantic lead in this. Um, it's such a wonderful, touching, sad story. I really, really like this a lot. And um, one of the most interesting little trivia things here: Ian Hart plays John Lennon yeah. for the second time. Yeah. Ian Hart was cast as John Lennon because he had been in a uh, in kind of an experimental black and white hour long semi-feature called The Hours and Times, which recently was re-released. It was restored and re-released recently, which is um, very different. And he plays John Lennon very differently. He plays John Lennon with their manager on a on a, on a weekend in uh, Spain, mm -hmm. in Barcelona, where it's suggested that there may have been some kind of a same-sex relationship and, and an experimentation and all that. So very different take on John Lennon here, but the same actor, and uh, it, it, superb job doing it so anyway but you're really seeing this for for the direction for the script for uh for an incredible performance from steven dorf so well done backbeat pete best pete best that was the other yeah. one yeah. pete best so and ultimately there were six beatles yeah folks yeah yeah anyway uh, you know, actual members anyway yeah uh, also from Shout Select, California, with a K, uh, released basically around the same time as Natural Born Killers. 
the Oliver Stone adaptation of the uh, of the uh, Tarantino film that Tarantino so completely hated, mm. and which I hate too, because uh, I think Natural Born Killers is unwatchable. But I, I like that one more than you. The, the Oliver, yeah, but that, but this is better. This is a better film. Yeah, California is a better film. It's uh, it's basically the same story. It just does it differently. And uh, it does it a little more believably. Brad Pitt and Juliet Lewis, David Duchovny. Of What's all interesting people. is that Juliet Lewis is in both of the movies. I know that's you know, what that's, made it weird. You know, yeah, 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 strange. But uh, anyway, this is the uh, new theatrical cut, first time ever on Blu-ray. There's an interview with uh, Dominic Senna, the uh, director, and uh, all of the original EPK stuff. And I'm so grateful that they actually say on the box original EPK. Mm. They don't put a whole, whole ton of featurettes and pretend that it's new material. They just say, you know what, we took the EPK that we did, that we just threw the thing on yeah. here. And I appreciate that. So that's Shout Select Collector's Edition. Uh, uh, what do you, yeah, what do you, you yeah, yeah. knock a few more over no, there? No, hit that one. Uh, because, it, look, Neil Simon's Bryden Beach Memoirs. I love, love this movie. It's love so, it. so, 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 so funny. Uh, Jonathan Silverman, um, uh, introducing Jonathan Silverman, as a matter of fact. Uh, so, I mean, I think it was his first big movie. Uh, Blythe Danner, uh, it's just the funniest, funniest movie. Judith Ivy, um, uh, what can I say? Uh, it's basically the story of uh, of Neil Simon himself growing yeah. up in Brighton Beach. Did he That's just it. sort of took and converted into his wacky family? And so funny. And it's just the funniest it's movie, and, and so funny. sweet. And uh, yeah. so you can't go wrong with Brighton Beach. Uh, 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 remember, there's just absolutely nothing on this. Though. I know. I know. What is up with Sh- Shout Select? Uh, they, I, there may not be anything to put on. I, I guess so. Yeah, 1986. You know, maybe there wasn't. Maybe yeah. there wasn't. 1986. Anyway, 1986. Brighton Beach. Wonderful movie. And then the Street Fighter collection. Uh, last week or a few weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, we, we covered the uh, female Street Fighter collection. And Shout now has released all of the original Sonny Chiba Street Fighter movies in a Shout Select set that is wonderful. They did new 2K scans of all of them, so they look fantastic. And there's even a new interview with Sonny Chiba on here. Uh, these movies were really controversial at the time. The uh, They include, by the way, the, the, the Street Fighter, the first original Street Fighter from 1974 is here in its uncut version. This was one of the most significant martial arts films outside of the Bruce Lee films to come over here. Mm. Um, this is the uncut version. There was a cut version. They These are all uncut. And for Street Fighter's Last Revenge, uh, also made the same year. These are all the same year, all 74. They include the U.S. and the Japanese cut. So for the Street Fighter, uncut version. For Return of the Street Fighter, uncut version. Street Fighter's Last Revenge, U.S. and Japanese cuts. Forget about the U.S., just watch the Japanese cut. Uh, they're brutal. They're not as brutal as what you see on, like, Daredevil mm. now. But at the time, this was shocking. This was really shocking to people. And yeah. uh, they tried to get Street Fighter banned because it was just so violent. And I'm thinking, you know, after seeing – did you – are you aware of what was going on in Hong Kong at the time? Did yeah. you Have you seen any Hong Kong movies? Yeah. But we got over that very quickly. Uh, so really, really fun. Sonny Chiba is still around, man. He's still, still in movies. He's still doing his thing. And uh, these are really, really fun movies. He's just one of the all-time greats. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, someone to watch over me. Uh, a Ridley Scott film. Yeah. Uh, I always forgot that this was a post Blade Runner. Yeah, post Blade Runner. It's kind yeah. of, because it's all like a New York thriller with Tom Berenger. Kind of a weird thing for him uh, to do. Kind of very, very sort of odd turn for him. He must have been, you know, just looking for something to do, I suppose. Anyway, it's about this uh, rich socialite uh, who uh, Mimi Rogers who sees a mob hit. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then this cop uh, gets assigned to protect her. Tom Berenger is on the yeah. night shift. He sort of falls for her. her look, it's it's a, it's it's an okay movie. Sort of middle eighties. Sort yeah. of you know. It's thriller. very it's very eighties. It has a real Miami Vice yeah. sheen to it. Almost feels like a Michael Mann film. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't exactly. It? Yeah. But what's interesting to me again. Can't make this movie as a feature film today. No, no way. It'd be straight to video, straight and it, to wouldn't, video. it wouldn't have A-list stars in it. Yeah. It would just it would like show up on you know Cinemax or something. Exactly. It's Interesting stuff. Uh, interview with the writer Howard Franklin. Interview with the director for uh, uh, photography, but that's about it. Yep. And we're gonna wind down here and uh, knock us a few many a few as many as we can in the last few little space. The last shout select title we have, uh, and then the rest are just regular shouts. Is Cheech Marin in Born in East L.A. Yeah. Even did a song, which is hysterically funny. Uh, done, you know, Springsteen style, like, you know, Born in the USA, Born in East L.A. It's very funny. Uh, so Cheech and uh, a film historian by the name of Mark Edward Hook do an audio commentary here, and it's really good. Um, new interviews with uh, Cheech Marin and all of it, and, and two of his actors, including Paul Rodriguez. There's even an extended television cut of the film in television aspect ratio, which I don't really understand why he did that, but there it is. Uh, and Born in East LA is is a really funny film, especially now with all of our immigration yeah. discussion. Yeah, right. uh, it's really timely now. But the idea is specifically about a guy played by Cheech Marin, who's an American, but he's of Hispanic descent. Who winds up getting caught on the other side of the border? Yeah. And, well, deported uh, effectively. Um, and uh, he, you know, he, like they raid this factory and they just take him to be an illegal immigrant and deport him. And now he can't get back into the country of which he's a citizen. So it's the madcap, uh, I, I, the lengths to which he goes to get back into the country. It's really a smart film. It's a very funny film. I'm glad it's been rediscovered. Uh, collector's edition here with uh, all those fun extras and and that really really good uh, audio commentary. Um, see it, especially with all of the stuff that's going on now in the political ether. This is so funny. It will lighten that whole situation. Mm-hmm. It'll make you feel okay about the world again. Funny, funny, funny. Uh, Willard, the 2003. Uh, Man, is that a creepy movie? A creepy movie of a, a remake of a creepy movie. Exactly. Uh, um, it's um, creepier remake. It's a creepier remake of a creepy movie. Yeah. yeah. Which which ended up was the sequel to the Ben because it was Ben. Yeah. Willard. And then and yeah, then and then this remake right yeah. here with Crispin Glover doing what he does best, best being really creepy. Yeah. Uh, with that face, all kinds of this is a new 2K scan, all kinds of neat uh, featurette stuff on here, including an audio commentary with the director, Glenn Morgan, uh, and a few other folks. Audio commentary with uh, the producers and James Wong and Crispin Glover, Arlie Army, Ar- the late Arlie Ermy. Yep. I forgot that he was in this movie. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, uh, Willard, uh, checking that out would be kind of cool. You have The Craft. This movie uh, made a few actresses' careers. You have it Ned, Nev Campbell and Robin Tunney and and Rachel True and Faruza Balk. It was, it was the movie that sort of uh, set off that whole little witch thing yep. that happened, gave us the television series Charmed yep. uh, from back in the early 90s. And then it is back. Anyway, uh, uh, neat, neat movie this. All kinds of special features on here, uh, including some audio commentaries and some deleted scenes with commentary tracks, too. Um, I remember this movie from 1975, Sarah T., Portrait of a Teenage Alcoholic, uh, a Richard Donner film. Uh, with Linda Blair and Larry Hagman plays her father, and basically it's literally what it says. This it's a movie about a, uh, a teenage alcoholic, yeah. uh, which was sort of daring yeah, in, in 1975 to, to to make a movie to sort of deal with this topic in a in a in a fairly serious way. Um, William Daniels in the film as well. Um, look, the new 2K scan. 
interview with Linda Blair. Richard Donner directed the movie. Yeah. It's a very good movie. And I've got four here that are all part of the Scream Factory, uh, kind of a vintage line of, uh, of B-movies. The Vengeance of She. Uh, this is the original Captain Marvel, I guess, in a way. She's, uh, you have this young actress, Olinka Barova, who uh, is haunted by voices telling her that she is Aisha. Mm. Right? Well, of course, we all know that now that some mysterious thing is reincarnation of some old ancient queen and now she's gonna you know everything's gonna go south and it's gonna be ridiculous and of course it you know look this this movie's silly beyond belief it was rated g at the time i don't know if i even rate it g now i i'd rate this like uh nc-17 uh just to keep people away from it but it's so hysterically bad and uh i i, I kind of love it in a weird guilty pleasure way tons of extras on here there are new interviews with terrence clegg the director, who at the time was an assistant director on this, as well as the um, special effects artist, Joy Clough, and Trevor Coop, who was the mm. clapper loader. Oh! They tracked down the clapper loader. Yeah. And is he happy to be doing an audio commentary or what? Uh, so there's also a new commentary That's by the... Funny. There's also a new commentary by the guys who do the uh, Monster Party podcast, which is which is a whole lot of fun. Um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a freaking hammer movie. Um, the Deadly Mantis. It's a monster movie. It's about a giant praying mantis. That's all it is. And it's it's hilarious. It is absolutely hysterical. Uh, directed by Nathan Duran in 1957 when all these kinds of movies were coming out. And this is a new 2K scan of the original elements. It looks great. And Tom Weaver and David Schechter do a fantastic fantastic commentary and it includes the mystery science version of this which is also hy hysterical uh, Boris Karloff in uh, The Body Snatcher with Bela Lugosi uh, kind of a minor film for both of them but you know fans like it, it's, it they, they, they ham it up pretty well and uh, the most interesting thing about this is that it was directed by Robert Wise. Oh, he made he made the Body Snatcher. The man who would win two Academy Awards in the '60s, back in the '40s, made the Body Snatcher. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yo, not actually because uh, what a uh, day to the Earth stood still. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So yeah. it was in his yeah. wheelhouse. You know? True, and and look, I mean, he he segued into all this stuff after having been the editor on Citizen Kane. We mm -hmm. forget that he yeah. was a legit editor. editor yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's okay. He's, yeah. he's 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 you know cutting his teeth and getting his chops together. And the last one, this is one of my all-time favorite B-movies. It is so brilliant because the costumes are so fantastic. Uh, Virgil Vogel, the director Virgil Vogel's 1956 legendary The Mole People. Uh, the costumes are absolutely hilarious. The, the Mole People don't look anything like moles. They just It's like some weird costume somebody invented. Kind of looks molish um, in some places, you know, a little scaly, but... Anyway, it's a bunch of mole. It's a, it's a creature from the Black Lagoon, except there's no lagoon and there's no creature. The mole people come up from the earth. It's, you know, swap the lagoon out for holes in the earth, and there you go. That's what it is. Um, anyway, it's, 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 it's quite a lot of fun, and uh, it's just cheesy beyond all belief. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I just can't tell you how much fun and funny it is. I love the, the tagline on it. From a lost age, horror crawls from the depths of the earth. <laughs> Wild, wild, wild. Uh, 
Man's Best Friend. There was a while there when um, they, they made all of these sort of like killer dog movies. Yep. Uh, Cujo was one of them. Sure. Uh, I think it was a Stephen King novel. Something like that. This, this one was kind of neat. Um, uh, uh, Man's Best Friend is about a guy, a scientist, who uh, you know, artificially uh, uh, creates this dog. And, yep. and, and every, the dog escapes and goes and lives with his family. It's family, Cujo. Family takes in the dog. Doesn't know the dog's you know, going to turn into a crazy killer dog. It's Cujo. It's Cujo. Uh, uh, special, <laughs> features, special features. <laughs> Lance Hendrickson is in the movie, though. I'm, I'm a big Lance fan. Yeah, we love Lance. Uh, from, from 2001, I had forgotten about this film and some of the people in it. Denise Richards, Marley Shelton, Catherine Hagel, and oh Valentine gosh. with David Baranez before he would go on to play Angel on the series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, cool. uh, so you know, uh, a lot of folks you haven't seen in a while. Man, I used to, I used to, I used to watch these people all the time. You see these people in movies all the time. They just all, all went away. Anyway, this is pretty neat. It's about a kid uh, who asks a bunch of girls out on Valentine's Day. They, they, yeah. they, they won't go out with him. He goes crazy a few years later and starts killing everybody. Sweet. All right, that's it for this week, uh, and we will uh, be back next week. All kinds of fun things happening in the uh, in showbiz, mm. and uh, it's it's we're, we're we're coming in. We keep talking about the. Uh, the Writers Guild and the agents, and we don't know what's going to happen with that, but it's going to change movies, mm. whatever it is. Mm. Whatever agreement it is, it ain't going to be what it's been for the last 43 years. 1976 was the last one. This is a new one. It's going to be a new age coming soon. We'll see you next week. Thank you.